Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions of space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, a fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host and founder of Bold, Caleb Parker, and in this episode, I chat with Mr. Ben Munn, better known as Mr. Flex for JLL. He oversees the firm's Flex Space Solutions globally. A couple of years ago, JLL predicted that 30% of all office space will be flexible by 2030. So naturally, I had to ask Ben whether they still stand by this bold prediction. We explore the work from anywhere movement, what JLL's customers are saying, and what this means for office landlords. Ben says we're moving towards a world where the office is no longer just the four walls that are leased by a company. And he believes landlords need to prepare for a world where people aren't coming into the office every day. As Abraham Maslow once said, if the only tool you have is a hammer, you tend to see every problem as a nail. It's time for commercial real estate to think differently. Looking ahead, there will be a focus on human-centric thinking from real estate suppliers. And in the near future, Ben and I agree that office assets without space as a service will be considered bottom of the market and struggle for demand, therefore producing lower valuations. But fear not, we don't leave you hanging. We also cover the value drivers in repurposing office buildings by delivering the five pillars of space as a service. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you won't cover, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker or DM me on LinkedIn. In fact, you know what would be fun? If you get a light bulb moment in this episode, I love it if you snap a selfie while listening and share it with me on social. Now get your game face ready and let's go meet Ben. Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined by Ben Munn, Managing Director and Global Lead for JLL's Flex Space Solutions. In this role, Ben provides global oversight of JLL's flexible space offerings, including driving strategy, sales, operations, delivery, and product development. With more than 20 years of experience in corporate real estate, flexible space, and workplace strategy, Ben is a veteran of the space as a service sector. Prior to joining JLL, Ben served in global roles at the Instant Group, Regis, and several other leading commercial real estate firms. In addition to leading global marketing, sales, and account management for flexible space operators, he's also advised investors and corporate clients on flexible space strategies across their portfolio to create long-term value. And though we're both sitting in our respective home offices, we're only about 15 minutes apart here in London, the closest I've been to one of my podcast guests since March of last year. So welcome to the Work Bold Podcast, Ben. Thank you, Caleb. Great to be with you. Looking forward to our conversation today. Likewise. Looking forward to hearing your insights. Uh, and we're going to start off with the big number. Uh, you guys at JLL predicted, um, actually, a couple, maybe two years ago now, that 30% of the office stock in commercial real estate will be flexible by 2030. Do you still expect the future of work in a post-COVID world to be flexible? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely, without a doubt, it is only going to be more flexible, uh, I think, in the post-COVID world. The impact, if you like, of this uh, incredibly challenging time is to only accelerate some of those trends that were already in play. So a move towards more agility in the way that companies provide space to their employees continuing expansion of the choice that they uh, that, that employees have around where, when and how they work, uh, the, the never-ending 
uh, war for talent uh, that that you know within which uh, workspace and and the work experience I think is becoming increasingly important in uh, the decision making of uh, of employees. So that, that I think those things are part of part of that acceleration. I think also that the the economic impact of uh, this period we're in and the challenges to some of the flex models out there, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later, um, is I think accelerating some uh, changes at a at an industry level that we also kind of need to see happen to to see that level of growth. So. I think all all of those things really are just in the cauldron of uh, you know us moving to flex 2.0 or or whatever we whatever we want to call it and in and then right in the middle of all of that is is the individual is the human is the team that they work within uh, how they interact both technologically physically uh, with with the work that they're they're doing and I think that kind of human-centric thinking about how to provide options for people to be productive is only a good thing. And we're only going to see see more of it as, uh, as this develops over the coming years. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um, I've, I've been saying commercial real estate needs to put humans at the center of the universe um, on this podcast for a while now. And, um, you know, in light of the last year, as we've sort of all been working from home and, and seeing that we can be productive working from home, um, there's this big debate going back and forth in the headlines talking about the office being dead, but then other people saying that no, people can't work from home. And um, it, when, when in reality, it's probably, um, you know, a, sort of a, a, a hybrid or, you know, I'm sorry, being conscious about using that, that buzzword again, but it's a mix, right? And so um, I guess the, the question is, and, you know, I, I was looking at, I was reading Twitter last night. Somebody tweeted out, in tight labor markets, the ability to work from anywhere is the top perk companies can provide. But if people can can work from anywhere, um, why are they going to come back into the office? And, and I know Anthony Slummers talks about how companies and commercial real estate needs to entice people back into the office to make it a place where um, the experience is better than working from home. So I guess my question to you is, what what do you think the customer experience of the office should look like? Well, first of all, I think the fact that you talk about a customer experience and the fact that we are talking about a customer experience when it comes to the office is a massive change um, for within commercial real estate as it relates to, to offices. It has been very easy for the longest time we're talking decades potentially centuries but but certainly through um uh the the 20th century for the customer the end user the the individual to be ignored within the greater um infrastructure if you like of the commercial real estate market because you know you saw broadly companies taking long-term leases providing space that there was a separation between the owner of the asset and the end experience that the that the individual had, and and the 
enterprise was typically in the middle with design firms, project managers, and, and, and so on. So there wasn't the idea of the the individual being a customer, you know, was not really not really there. It wasn't enlightened yeah. companies in terms of how do we provide that great experience for our employees, but they weren't seen as kind of a uh, a, a like a revenue bearing um, customer in the way I think they they can be in the future. So. To, to your point and to others like Anthony, um, what this, what we've been through over the last year has, I think, shown what works and what doesn't work and shown that actually for a lot of people, not everyone by any stretch of the imagination, but for quite a, a fair few um, people that are typically working in offices, they can work from home or they can work from another office uh, and it doesn't have to be the core office for you know in the center of town that their their employer has as their hq or or whatever and so when you think about what is the proposition what is going to get me into the office well for me and I'll, I'll speak for myself rather than uh, everyone else but we can probably extrapolate it I want to see colleagues. I want to be in a room working through ideas, working through strategies. I want to meet that broad set of, of colleagues that I work with across multiple different disciplines within JLL, who I don't necessarily engage with on, on a daily basis. And with my team, I want to get together with them to come up with um, you know the strategies, the plans, the value propositions for for the future that we're going to build our our business out of. And as much as digital platforms are are supporting that work, it's not a replacement for that work for me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you think about why you're going to go to the office and what's going to draw you to the office, it is about the culture that you can experience, how that's exemplified by the space, by the services that are provided, by your journey. Uh, You know, thinking that's one of the things that has become apparent for a lot of the conversations we're having with our occupier customers is how do you get people there? How does that work? It's not just the what is it like when we walk in the door? That's, you know, responsibility doesn't start at the threshold of the building or when you get off the elevator lobby. It starts before that. Um, and and that broadened thinking over that holistic experience is, I think, brilliant to see. I, and, and I think the industry has to evolve to and bring in capabilities and, and expertise to help cover that holistically. You can see us, you know, doing some of that because the... I'm trying to avoid using hybrid, but why not? Let's let's dive in. You know, that hybrid mode of saying, I can work at home. I should be able to get on an app and find a flexible workspace near to me that I can walk to. I know there's one around the corner from me here in, in South London. I want to be able to book that. I want my employer to support that. And of course, I want to be able to go into to the mothership and soak up that, that experience, plan time with, uh, you know, the team. And that for me is 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 kind of that future that we are trying to build towards there are lots of challenges around getting there but we will get there and i think winners in on both the occupy side and the and those people that are providing space will understand how those different 
pieces can play together. We'll understand thinking about the office almost like a retail proposition or a hospitality you know, proposition to get people in, to create experiences, to influence productivity, to influence health and, and well-being in a way that we might not have been talking about two years ago, five years ago, certainly 10 years ago. So it's interesting, you, know, you, you talk about the office now, not just being the four walls that you have a lease on, but the office being anywhere someone works and including the home in that, including um, places near home or elsewhere. Um, so if that's the case, then how are occupiers or tenants, or I'm going to call them commercial real estate customers, the big customer, how, how are they responding to this? How do they evolve their expectations of commercial real estate if 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 people are coming into their HQ every single day, are they going to still need the same footprints under long leases? What do you? What's going to happen here? Great question. Great question. And of course, I think an awful lot of thinking is still going on around that. But but one thing I would point out is that we recently did a survey of our top uh, corporate customers, big enterprise occupiers and uh, ask them what their th thoughts were on planning around agility and mobility. And over two thirds of them said that it was going to be more important for them going uh, forward and that they are increasing workplace mobility programs within and without their core uh, portfolio. So it is absolutely at the top of uh, the agenda of occupiers. How do we provide choice. We, we started talking about this, this idea of a spectrum of choice. You have choice at an enterprise level, you have choice at an individual level. What a lot of companies have done over the past 10 years is focus on providing choice within their four walls. So you've seen um, yeah, ABW, uh, activity-based working strategies, flexible working strategies, um, activity-based uh, designs come into workplaces so that the individual, when they are within the four walls, can choose a, a, a variety of modes of work. Um, what we're beginning to see now is that expand out into saying, okay, you as an individual should have the choice and, the, and in some ways the responsibility in partnership with your team and your manager to figure out where you where you can be productive and i think the the occupiers uh, the the companies if you like the the corporate real estate teams working with hr and technology of course as always are coming up with ways to offer that choice to to their employees that is where the the evolution is happening and we'll see experimentation as uh, restrictions are lifted as people put mobility platforms, on-demand platforms, for instance, onto um, employees' uh, phones. They offer those, you know, they offer them with apps. We've seen some stories about, you know, adoption of that by corporates in in the press recently. So that for me is is important. I think there will be a, I think there will also be a revision or consideration of the appropriateness and the duty of care around homeworking. Uh, you know, let's not forget that we have had a necessity-driven 
move towards homeworking. Um, and that, I think some of the responsibilities of, of employers around that environment has not necessarily caught up with with kind of the, the need for just making it work yet. So I'm, I'm thinking here about health and wellness, mm. the ergonomics, the cost of um, working from home. You know, those are things which are kind of being dealt with ad hoc at the moment, but not really being addressed necessarily in a strategic, structural, programmatic way. And that that will need to happen. Well, um, on, that, on that note, I just want to interrupt you there uh, and say that um, there's – if you look at London, for instance, it costs what twenty thousand pounds a year per desk uh, or per person to to give them a desk in in London. I'm generalizing, of course, but if people are working from home to fix them up in a, with a nice home environment, it's about two thousand pounds. And that variable or that margin between the two thousand pounds and the twenty thousand pounds, do you, do you think that? And this goes back to the whole working from home versus you know, working in the office, but do do you think there's a case where corporate will or HR will fund someone's home and work environment? I think that'll be part of the debate. Um, I'm I'm not entirely sure that there's a lot of complexity around how that will how that would work in reality. So yeah. So I I suspect that it will be avoided. Uh, from a regulatory tax liability insurance perspective in in many ways. Um, however, I think it will be recognized in to to the point you raised earlier, in comp packages and comp being the broad interpretation yep. of compensation, right? Um, so that there is value in choice, there is value in um, me having the flexibility, you know, as I said, to choose kind of where, when, and how. And so I think that there will be a reapportioning, if you like, of some of the the costs associated with the the, the core office. But I don't I don't think it will be a straight kind of like for like. Um, but potentially, I, I'm not sorry. sure that. Go on, sorry. Just potentially, um, you're, you're maybe people who can comfortably work from home might have the option to choose a comp package that enables them to, you know, sort of subsidize some of the cost of of pimping their home office out, for instance, um, versus people who really can't work from home productively having a choice to come either into the office or near home. Is and you're, that's where that hybrid conversation comes into play. Yeah, I I, th- I think you're right. I think there are some things to consider around that as it, that's important. Um, so, um, and and uh, you know, one of them is the cultural impact of um, remote working and the uh, the kind of the bias towards um, stage of life and financial circumstances. That home working brings. So, you know, with that, this is this is really important stuff, right? About how do we bring together people? You know, that that goes beyond perhaps the daily process of work that they're doing in terms of Excel spreadsheets or writing reports or talking to customers or, or whatever it may be, right? It's it, you know, I think part of companies' responsibilities and and we're seeing this increasing focus on sustainability, you know, health and wellness and diversity inclusion and inclusion means that what you 
what you don't want to do as a as an employer, I hope, and certainly as I think about you know the teams I'm part of, I I don't want to see that some people are able to choose not to be in the office more often than some that don't have that choice for for various reasons. And and you you know I wouldn't like to see that kind of dis, a disparity and inequality in that experience. One of the things that I think both cities and offices in their way do uh, for us collectively is that it provides a place that we can all get together, irrespective of you know of of backgrounds and and circumstances and things like that. And and so I, again, it's there's a lot of nuance to this. But it's not as you know. It's it's not as straightforward as, in some ways, and I could be going out on a limb here as saying, well, I can work from home five days a week, so I'm going to work from home five days a week because I want to, and I can get a, you know, my company to give me an ergonomic chair and a sit stand desk and and things like that. So it, so I think that's you know that that's going to be really interesting in terms of that navigation, and I do think that. To the point that we were talking about earlier, there will be, you know, undoubtedly a drawback to to the office. I mean, we're both sitting here in lockdown again. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty excited about being able to actually get out and see people and be physically together with them, uh, and not on Teams or Zoom or WebEx or, or whatever uh, for for 10, 12 hours a day. Yeah, me me too. And I'm I think there's going to be you know post lockdown and, and I, look I think we're all going through these this crazy time and there's a lot of uncertainty but I think one thing is certain we're, we're all going to get through this and come out the other side and when we do that's what we all need to be preparing for and my expectation my thinking and, and everything we're looking at is that initially there's going to be this high demand to go back into the office and like you're saying you're excited to go see people again and you know have happy hour with them after work and have lunches and meetings and but then that's going to wear off. That that novelty that we haven't been able to have for the last year is going to wear off for a lot of people. And when they have that two-hour, you know, return trip commute to the office every single day, they're going to think, "Wait, why am I doing this?" And yeah. at that stage, those who can and companies that enable that choice will work from the office less. And I think if we imagine a world where most companies do enable that flexibility to to attract the right talent. Um, uh, and, and to look after, and they're taking care of duty of care with their team. The question that I think we in commercial real estate have to really think about is how do our buildings respond to that? And how does, if, if occupiers have less of their team in the office every single day, will they take less space when the lease event comes up? Um, and if that happens, then what does that mean to the demand for the building and then the value of the building and do we need to repurpose buildings? And so these are the questions that I'm trying to drill down on and, and think about. Um, and uh, I, I'm just I'm just wondering what your what your views are from a if you put your landlord advisory hat on for a minute, what would you be telling your landlord clients that they need to be doing to prepare for this? So so what I am and what we are telling our landlord um, customers is that they they need to participate in the creation of exciting propositions for with their buildings for their for their target customers and they need to consider that their target customers 
can be more diverse than just the leaseholder, uh, you know, the company and the CFO and, and CRE lead that, that are engaged on figuring out, you know, how much space they'll take for five or 10, 10 years. So, you know, the, our, our advice is that the asset is has the opportunity to provide a number of different products within it that can attract different customers in different ways. Um, and, and I suppose the overriding, overarching kind of thinking behind that and, and the reality that we see coming is that to be competitive as an owner in the future is going to require a proactivity around customer engagement and the creation of a, a, a proposition, not just with your building, but considering the neighborhood it's in and everything, so that you can attract the customers you want to to your building so that you can see those revenues. I think you know what we are what we are seeing is you know a significant amount of space available in markets right now. We're seeing uh, sublease space uh, coming onto markets in in you know significant amounts. We still have new uh, development pipeline coming through in, in in most markets, and so from a customer perspective, this is this is great, right? Yeah, uh, that's I've a got, Yeah, I've got a lot of choice. That means I've got pricing. Um, you know, I've got pricing leverage. I've got term leverage. I've, I can make calls on uh, you know services and so on, and, and I can probably. Get things over the next couple of years that that you know would have been hard to get in uh, 2019. Um, so for the for the landlords, you you know you you know you've really got to be you know in the game and recognizing that the demand that will start coming back into the market uh, in you know late Q2, hopefully certainly in the second half of of this year, is going to be spoiled for choice. Now, what's interesting is that as per the conversation we were just having uh, around human centric design yeah. the, the that experience it's not it's not going to be in all cases a race to the commoditized bottom from a price perspective it is going to be you know companies are not you know when when they make decisions about the real estate they occupy it, it, it I, it's fairly obvious right but it's not just about cost it is about providing the right environment for for their people to be productive for their clients to engage with a whole raft of different you know things go into that so those landlords and owners who create product either themselves or with a partner like us um, you know to to really speak to that demand and offer that range of uh, services service layers hospitality, approach in in the right environment they're they're the ones that are going to win that win that demand so i i agree with you wholeheartedly obviously uh, and um i think um i think what you're what you're saying here is that the old way of um, offering up a white box on a 10-year lease and competing on term and price is going to go out the window that's going to be the commodity in the, going forward and the landlords and the buildings and the assets that win and and get the get the occupancy and have a better valuations are going to be those who who differentiate um, through the various layers and services and products that they're offering. Is is that am I hearing you correctly? 
Yeah, I, I think you are. I'm not sure I was, I'd, I'd go as far as saying out of out of the window for the traditional lease, but certainly I agree with you in kind of terming it as as commoditized. I think the way we talk to owners about it is that the the landscape of the future from a customer perspective is one where I I want choice. We keep coming back to that word. I want options in terms of how I get into your building. So if you look at a, you know an asset like let's say twenty two Bishopsgate, right, which is this phenomenal yeah. building that acts of you know bought to market, um, you know within that building there are multiple different routes for people to get into the building to, to to work there, right? To spend time in great workspaces. And there are, you can take a traditional lease, you can go in on flexible terms, there, you know, and there's a whole proposition, a whole experience um, that's, that's built into that, you know, that vertical village, if you like, yeah. uh, that says, hey, if, you know, this is a great place to work, this is the proposition, right? This is an amazing place to work. Um, and we want to, to, you know, let you in, if you like, or encourage you to come in on, on the terms that are going to suit you. So if you want to come in for to use an office or a meeting room for half a day, we've got a route for that to happen. If you want to come in to great space for a couple of years, you know, with a team, you've got that option in the building. If you want to come in for a five or 10 year lease and, and create, you know, a bespoke space for yourself, we've got that option. And we think more and more owners are going to have to think that way and create that kind of opportunity for for customers and recognize that um to you know to your point that the that the valuation uh perspective will evolve over time to look at how much revenue and value is this building creating as a whole where you may have a much wider variety of income streams that you that you need to manage and and recognize um, and therefore, more value that you can drive from the uh, the, the, the building as a whole uh, than you know traditional kind of models uh, look at right now, where where the traditional lease is effectively the simple way of mm-hmm. of calculating a, the value of um, some steel and glass. Yeah, and I think that the just going back to the, the commodity perspective uh, is that to to differentiate bringing in these service layers uh, across the building enables and it will enable the building to become attractive and continue signing up the bigger customers for the longer leases because they have the service layers and and I think about historically space as a service has been a small part of of an asset that only the customers uh in that floor to that the space as a service layer was in had access to and I think going forward we're talking about taking those service layers out, the, what I call the five pillars of space as a service, the hospitality, the community, the technology, the, the various space components, and then of course the management and optimization of the space, um, taking those and extending them and casting a customer service net across the entire asset. So no matter if you're Microsoft, a Microsoft employee on you know two floors on a 20-year lease, you still have access to the same great customer service that people who are signed up for you know they're an SME and they're using the co-working space, uh, but everybody experiences the same, and that's what's going to differentiate an asset going forward. In my in my view, yeah, I I wouldn't disagree 
at all. I, well, I'd agree. So that's what saying. Um, <laughs> I think an extension of that, which is interesting when you think about this idea of space as a service, I think there are, there are kind of a couple of aspects, right? There is the idea of service. So, so the piece that you're talking about, okay, I, you know, there is a building here, there are a variety of services we can offer within it. And whether you're a consumer that's bought a traditional lease or a consumer that's coming in for a, you know, for a day office or whatever it is, you know, you want to be able to access that proposition. The other aspect of space as a service, which um, goes, you know, is is a is probably a horizontal view. So rather than a vertical view of the asset, you've got a horizontal view of the market. So yes. how you know how do you as a customer, let's you know, look at Microsoft as a you know significantly uh, big employer and and certainly big user of space and a lover of kind of campus and you know they they're making commitments still to you know um, building you know large scale environments for their for their employees to to enjoy and and be productive in. Um, as you look at a company like that, you know, space as a service to them is not just about how am I accessing what what's available within any of the individual assets you know that we occupy? But actually, how do I create a network of mm. options for my you know our people to be able to go in and out of those different assets? And it might be that some is landlord provided, some is flex operator provided, some is home, some is Microsoft built, owned, and and operated. And so, if the you know, the way I think about it is a little like, uh, I mean, you know, cloud services uh, or, or data services, right, where you, the demand is what fluctuates over time. And what real estate hasn't been able to do really effectively for the past couple of hundred years is allow your cost base to vary with your demand profile um, except within these uh, kind of once every three, five, ten year e events. So a very, very intractable cost base uh, that, that usually gets fixed for, for occupiers. And now we're, you can see a future. I don't think we're there yet, but we're heading there. And, uh, you know, I think we're accelerating towards it where actually I am going to be able to um, you know, mold my portfolio better to my demand. It's never going to be perfect, but I should be able to ramp up and down my costs within months of making strategic decisions around where my work, you know, workforce is going to be, and almost on a daily, monthly basis by where that workforce chooses to work. Mm -hmm. And if you think about again, just another another you know survey that we. That we did of of you know looking at um, at, at business leaders you know sixty three percent of uh, of of CEOs are are only looking three years ahead. So if your if your business planning cycle is less than a typical like new office acquisition timetable, which you know it's not it's not unusual for it to take two and a half to three years to think about where you want to do all the negotiating, to plan your exit, to do your design work, to then build out your space, to then move in. And if by that point you've got an entirely different strategy, where is the use, you know, where is the use in that for um for businesses? And so I think this 
what you know what we can see ahead is the market evolving its product this is the commercial real estate market evolving its product evolving the way that customers can buy and 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 you know buy time in space to a way where you have a better ability to um manage the the supply of the workspace that you want to the demand um profile you have it's going to have implications for contracting for pricing for who is designing and building the space for instance you know and that was something which really came to light with with you know with the rise of WeWork as an, as an example what does great space look like you used to sit within you know workplace guidelines and standards within corporates and then you've got you know we work came along and and kind of got this you know built this aura of people like wow i want to go and spend time in that space and yep. and it was almost exciting because it wasn't your your corporate uh, space and it didn't necessarily meet your your corporate uh, you know guidelines so a, a well, really brilliant evolution from my perspective it, ha- it has been, and I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned WeWork and in, in that that effect that I w- I'm going to call it the brand effect that they've had. I think WeWork were excellent for all the things they did wrong. They were excellent at getting their brand to market fit correct, um, and uh, and and the story is still being written, um, you know, by them right now. So we'll see where they end up. But I think what's interesting to look at is is to your point. Some people say, "Wow, I want to go work in that space. That's cool." While other people said, "I'd never want to work in that space," and that points out. Uh, the the effect that brand can have on an asset. So as these assets are in in the commercial real estate owners are looking at um, bringing in um, these service layers to 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 sort of differentiate themselves and not become a commodity. I guess brand um, br- the brand question comes into play there. And and when I say brand, I don't necessarily mean the logo, but I mean the experience that you're delivering yeah. and who you're delivering that experience, what customer you're delivering that experience for. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the, I look to the parallel or I look for parallels with the hotel market, the hospitality. Great example. Market, yes. Right. So, you know, I, I think there are there are multiple offers out there in the in the office market right now. In reality, beyond a few providers that typically are within local markets, we work are the one that have, you know, been able to break out. And and create a customer-oriented experiential brand um, in a way that you know up until up until that they started doing that you, we really haven't seen in uh, in commercial real estate before. But we or, or in the office side of commercial real estate. But if you look at the hotel market, of course you've got you know you've got a multitude of brands. You've got international brands that give you you know consistency. Whether it's you know Hilton, you look at hospitality, you look at Starbucks, or you've got very localized brands, you've got, you know, you, you have offers, uh, you know, experiential offers that are targeted at different customer segments. So you have those that are for, you know, business travelers, those that are for, you know, you know, luxury, family travel, for individual travel, for budgets, you know, for low budget convenience, you know, and and the, this sure. point you're, you've raised, I think, is absolutely what we're going to see in the future. And it speaks again to that idea of network. So this is, again, an interesting thing for owners to think about, right, is do I want to participate in a brand, a network, 
um, and therefore I'll give some of my space if you like, or I'll use some of my space to deploy this workplace brand, or do I want to, as some have been doing, right? So British Land, Tishman Spire, you know, I'm going to create, or we're going to create a, a brand and identity and offer ourselves that we're going to deploy within our within our space. And, and I think you will see this, uh, you know, a blend of all of these, these options. I think sure. you will absolutely see more large-scale workspace experience brands come to the fore uh, and take root in multiple um, assets within within multiple markets. Uh, no doubt about it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think going back to your duty of care points is that the the company who wants to deliver wants to make sure that their employees have a certain experience will align themselves with the brand that delivers that experience and with the assets that have that brand in it or that experience in it. Um, so I guess my and, last, uh, and the, sorry, yeah. to, sorry to interrupt and and the experience they can afford as well. Yeah, like let's point, not yeah. forget, you know, that that's going to be absolutely an important part of this. Not everyone is going to be able to afford the all singing, all dancing, all inclusive. You know, my office is also a spa, is also a wellness yeah, center, yeah. also a Michelin-styled restaurant, is etc. etc. Like that isn't that isn't going to be. That isn't going to be the 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 kind of the the biggest part of the market. Like, let's also be, I think, realistic because there are pricing challenges in providing and cost challenges sure. in providing that kind of service. And so we're going to see a, you know, a big proposition in that in the middle ground and in the budget ground that will that will have a scale that you, you will not have in uh, kind of the the higher end. Um, uh, you know, unique proposition. Yeah, well, every every uh, asset owner should be asking themselves, you know, looking at their business plan, lease events coming up, next time they have a capital injection, when they're going to refund, what all these different questions, but they should really be also asking, well, what customer persona am I going after? What do those economics deliver? And what experience can I deliver at that price point um, to, to meet those those needs and wants of that customer. Um, but if we're talking about how every asset needs to have a a, a level of this, I'm, I'm just some sort of level of, of space as a service across it. What about those that don't? Do you, do you think that those who don't embrace this service and um, putting the customer at the center of the universe, do you, do you think that they're going to be valued less, those assets? I, th I, th I think they will struggle more um, for demand. And I think that they will be at the low end of comparative and relative pricing. So because, the, the, you know, there won't be, be beyond the bricks and mortar, steel and, and glass and their location, there won't be anything that they're differentiating their offer with. And so, I, therefore, you know, the kind of the end result of that is, yes, a lower valuation relative to, to assets around you that are providing these additional services, benefits, whether it's amenity, space or, or whatever. And I think that will, that's a long term playout, right? We'll see that in the next, let's say, by the second half of this decade, um, because as you look at, as you look at real estate markets, the kinds of changes that we're, we're talking about, 
can only roll at the pace of underlying lease commitment change in in some regards mm. because that is going to hold you know there is a lot of space that is held on leases that's going to stay in those leases whether it's right for the business or not and so you're going to see this slow change so if i'm an asset owner sitting here today and i look at my i look at my lease profile and i see that actually i'm pretty well occupied you know i have low vacancy and and i don't really have significant lease events for the next few years i can probably be a little complacent to some degree the challenge for that is when you do have to um you know when you do have those lease events and your customers as they currently are and looking around and thinking do i stay where i am or or do i go somewhere else well they're going to have an awful lot of exciting options to go somewhere else if you have not spent the next few years really thinking about to to your point you were making what is my strategy here what is the customer base that i can serve better than anyone else because of location because of floor plate because of the services i can i can deliver in and so you know that goes back to that comment i was making around this idea of being truly proactive in thinking about your your asset your product as it relates to the customer base that you can you can serve and go after. Well, you've made some excellent points there, and and uh, I, I'm not gonna. I could go into a whole bunch of question of valuations, but we covered that a, a lot in previous episodes, and I think you've made the point. So um, I have one final question before we get to our quick fire round, and um, this is sort of touching on this this whole hybrid and flexibility that people will have, and which means there's going to be a, a level of customers and revenue coming into. Uh, an asset that's going to be transient and variable. So, going back to your hotel analogy, um, you know, what are your thoughts on intermediaries like JLL even managing these types of transactions? Kind of like what we see in in the you know Capita and Carson Wagonley does over in the um, meetings and events in in business travel world. So, absolutely. We're going to have to be in that space, and we are in that space um, as as JLL. Um, and it's not, you know, obviously not just us. Y- you, as a as a manager of space, as an operator of space, you are going whether that, whether you're doing that as a you know operating buildings you own, or whether you do it as 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 we do as a service provider to owners of buildings. You absolutely will have to have the capability, infrastructure, technology, and tools to manage all of those transactions, to, to manage bookings, to uh, you know, to uh, manage customer experience and feedback, and to um, get that get that product out into the market, allow people to book into it, to participate in you know aggregators and and other platforms, so that your your space is seen by the customers that you you want it to be seen by. It, it's going to be uh, table stakes to be able to operate a building effectively in 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 the future. Absolutely, and we'll see this again. We're to, you know I talk a lot about kind of evolution uh, today. If you, if you look at the evolution of leasing and property management, um, and you know, and then the you know the the kind of the the flex uh, market coming into uh, or scaling and becoming more important. Those things are all going to come together, 
And that's certainly what we're planning for at JLL and, and putting in place for some of our customers so that they can manage that different um, customer experience and all of the things that go around it, contracts, payments, uh, you know, user apps and, and, uh, and the technology. So absolutely key. Well, bonus question on this, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot, so feel free to to tell me you can't answer this or not. <laughs> but um, you know, there there you you did say that this is happening, and and there are some players out there, um, some tech solutions. There's Liquid Space; they have launched their enterprise product. There's Dasana, which is a new up and coming um, tech solution here in the UK. Meetings Booker over in Dublin has launched a workspace um, component. Um, for for real time bookings of like hourly daily um, workspace, um, and 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 then you've got um, Desk Pass, I think out of Chicago. So the bonus question is: Do you think there's going to be consolidation amongst those types of tools, um, or do you think that there's going to be you know some M and A activity going on between the uh, typical intermediaries, the broker world, like you guys? What can you what can you share? So what I will say is that the future of demand management and um, and demand creation, if you like, and acquisition is going to be omnichannel. It is not just going to be on relationships. You are going to have to be in the tech space in terms of making it easy for your customers to buy, easy for your customers to find you. And as a you know provider and operator of space, you're going to have to engage with multiple platforms to enable that. So I'm, I'm expecting that anyone that is serious about um, getting space in front of customers that will want to pay to spend some time in it is going to have to have an incredibly strong digital strategy as part of as part of their plan. It can't be the only piece of the plan, but without a doubt, it is going to be core to how people you know find space to spend time in in the future. We're not at that scale yet, but we are going to get there, and therefore you've you've got to be ready to play there. Yeah, well, I I agree, and and it, it's 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 great to hear that you guys have your finger on the pulse of of all this uh, change and this going on. Uh, you know, I certainly look forward to to doing deals at various levels with you guys um, here at Bold and Newflex, and um, you know, this the the future is being created right now by all of us, so it's exciting. I'm going to move into the quick fire rounds. These are three short, quick answers, quick questions, quick answers. And uh, are you ready for these? Well, yeah, I, you, you've heard me talk today, so I can't promise uh, how quick, quick fire, fire I'll be, but try and keep me honest. Okay, so I'm going to limit this to two people, but who inspires you in commercial real estate? I've, oh, I, I'm going to give you categories of people. I'm going to give you categories of people. This is probably not the answer you're looking for. So who inspires me in corporate real estate? Uh, it is people at the front desk of a building who understand that anyone arriving is a valued visitor uh, to that building and should be treated with respect and kindness and a smile. Excellent. I love people like that. And you don't 
always find them at the front desk of buildings. Excellent. Well, that's a great answer. And that needs, and you're right, and that needs to change. It, it is changing. Okay, great. So then my next question, I, I think is probably probably a bit straightforward, and, and I'll, I'll give you some, some leeway here to, to stray off course if you want, but what podcast or media do you consume to stay up to date on the latest industry trends? Well, beyond yours, you mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that is that. That's I consume an awful lot of media. Uh, so I get, as you can probably imagine, I get sent uh, things by my team all the time. I subscribe to a variety of uh, uh, of news sources, and cheekily, cheekily. Is I I have the fortune of actually spending nearly every day talking to people who are leading in their space, whether they're occupiers, owners, researchers, um, bankers, uh, uh, podcasters, <laughs> podcasters. So so you know what I feel. Um, this this is a you know I feel incredibly lucky because I feel like I'm talking to the people that are creating the future in 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 real estate uh on a pretty you know on a daily basis so i'm pretty blessed in in that way i think you know i'm i'm incredibly lucky to spend most of my days engaged when that's with my team and it's with people outside the organization um with people that are at, you know in literally changing the way people experience their working lives great answer another great answer well you're you're two for two now um um, my last question is completely not work related, and it's it's about your holiday destination. Where do you like to travel when you, when we can? That's brilliant. Uh, I love France. I love wine, so I love going to different parts of France. Uh, but France obviously is not the only wine producing uh, country in the world. So, un unsurprisingly, I'm quite happy to go to Italy and North America uh, and uh, a whole variety of, uh, of other locations. I think where I like to travel are places that have a unique, authentic experience about them and feel like you are going, you can only feel what you feel when you're there, relax the way you're relaxing when you're there or eat what you're eating there and, and nowhere else. Um, and that's what I like to find when I go when I go traveling. Well, I think uh, I think you're talking to an e echo chamber here now because I feel the same way. And um, I'll give you a tip since you like going places with wine. In Bulgaria, there's a little place called Melnik, and it's known for its Bulgarian wines. So check it out. I will, and I've got I've got excuses to go to Bulgaria. So I, I it's on my list. I've written it down. Thank you. Excellent. Well, uh, Ben, thank you so much for sharing your insights with me today. I loved it. Thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation, Caleb. Likewise, likewise. So everybody, be sure to connect with Ben on LinkedIn. And thank you so much for tuning in today. Until next time, take care of yourself. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future-proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. 
This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at PodcastSyndicator.com or Brett at PodcastSyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.